When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. We have had a fight going on in the United States between workers and employers for at least a generation, because it's been about a full generation now that employers started using independent contractors is more and more a part of their regular staffing. And it is something that sometimes works out very well for the worker. Other times, it's an involuntary thing. You know, there are big companies that will lay people off and then hire them right back through a third-party contracting agency. And the person comes back with a contractor badge instead of their employee badge, and they lose the benefits, they lose their whatever job security they had and the rest. And there are situations like that, but that's not the main action. The main action has been this never-never land of when it's right and when it's wrong for somebody to be classified as a non-employee, 1099 person, independent contractor, versus being an employee. And the reality is the courts have never been able to come up with a clear understanding or a consistent system to determine when somebody is an employee and when they're an independent contractor. Um, The laws passed in various jurisdictions have been very contentious. There's been an ongoing fight in the state of California that passed a law that made people like drivers for Uber and Lyft employees instead of contractors. And that's being litigated, and there's going to be a uh, proposition on the ballot to overturn that, and who knows how that's going to play out. And now the U.S. Department of Labor has weighed in with a new rule that will actually put the burden of proof on the non-employee. So let's say you're working somewhere as a non-employee, as an independent contractor, as a 1099 worker. You will really be in a position where the employer's position of making you an independent contractor will be considered to be essentially the proper one under this proposed rule unless you're successfully able to challenge it. So, essentially, you as an independent contractor are not going to effectively be able to challenge the company that's hired you. So, it means that this is something where the company will uh, pretty clearly, if this uh, proposed rule is not overturned later in the courts, and uh, a company, see, I'm not saying employer, 
a company will be able to have work done by somebody as an IC without worrying as much about later getting their wrist slapped for having somebody as a non-employee. As far as the definitions, as I've said for years, based on something written years ago by a university-based economist, there's a need in the United States in order for employers to have flexibility in their workforce, but at the same time for people not to end up in a situation where they are essentially an employee but being treated as a non-employee for the uh, non-employer's convenience, that we should have, instead of this either-or of independent contractor or employee with benefits, we should have a third classification that deals with a modern workforce that would be a dependent contractor. So in my mind, somebody who works for Uber or Lyft is a classic example of someone who would be an independent contractor. And I don't understand really what California has tried to do. Because think how many times if you ride regularly or did with Uber and Lyft, a driver would be with both and have both apps. And whichever one was giving the best pricing or the best bonus at the moment, that's who they were driving for. So they really ultimately fit how I would perceive somebody to be an independent contractor. On the other hand, somebody who's working for one particular company, they're typically going to uh, non-coronavirus into an office space to work for that company. They have pretty much a set shift. For a company to call them an independent contractor is a ruse. It's not really a valid designation. But there are times an employer may not want to add to their permanent workforce. And that's where this idea of having a third category, dependent contractor, where the employer would have the right to treat someone in a way that they can come and go as they wish, schedule them up and down and all that, but that the employer would have some responsibilities to that individual that they don't now, such as paying the employer portion of Social Security and Medicare and potentially even having some level of sick leave for those independent contractors. And that is a very different way of looking at this because obviously this has been too hard from an economic standpoint and from the political process and the legal process with just having these two systems of independent contractor or employee, the marketplace, the workforce needs some flexibility and needs another way to get there that would not give the employer or the company an unfair advantage. Just my opinion. And by the way, every time I talk about this, we get a sharp reaction on Clark Stinks. I'd love it if you feel I'm missing a key part of the economic equation here to go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and give your perspective on this issue of workers versus independent contractors. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate with Kim up first. 
All right. This is from Rebecca in Georgia. And she says, should you get a prepaid maintenance program and gap insurance when buying a new car? I would absolutely not get a prepaid maintenance plan. When you buy a new car, you have very, very low ongoing maintenance costs for the first several years. There's no upside in you prepaying for that. As far as gap insurance, gap insurance for some people becomes a necessary evil. Here's the problem. People are taking out extremely long vehicle loans. It's not at all unusual now for someone to have a six-year or seven-year, occasionally an eight-year vehicle loan. The result of it, anytime you go past really 42 months on a loan, you on a new vehicle are going to be upside down on that vehicle, owing more than what it's worth for years and years and years. So if the vehicle's stolen and not recovered, totaled in an accident, anything like that, you end up owing the lender many, many thousands of dollars. So that's the purpose of gap insurance. Key thing, though, if you do choose to take out a long, long loan and you do need gap insurance, shop it. The premiums on gap insurance vary extremely widely from one provider to another. Start with your own automobile insurer and see if they offer an affordable gap insurance policy. Joel? Clark Christie in Tennessee says, is dropshipping really worth doing? I see a lot of these on YouTube and online, and I really don't believe all the people that are making six figures doing this. And most are trying to get you to purchase classes that seem to another person, like selling courses or they're making the real money. So is it is it the courses that are making the real money, or can I make real money dropshipping? You cannot make real money dropshipping. And unfortunately, a lot of the supposed opportunities to be a quote-unquote dropshipper actually have you as a key cog in the wheel with credit card theft and receiving stolen goods. And you can end up in prison with a felony record if you get involved in something like this. And the claims that people make about you making a fortune, it's a big fat lie. Kim? Jerry in Colorado says, we moved into our home in 2013 and we made the mistake of getting a new phone number. And it seems like this new phone number was associated once with someone else. And that someone else is a person who is hounded by collection agencies. (laughs) We've been getting two to three calls a day since 2013. We tell them it's the wrong number. The call stopped for a few months only to restart with a new agency calling months later. I am bleep, bleep, bleep mad and don't know what to do. And you should know that Jerry typed out bleep, bleep, bleep. Oh, (laughs) that's cute. So as I've shared on the show before, my son Grant, who got his cell phone number four years ago, has a number that is associated with somebody who owes money to, it seems like, every person and organization on earth. And the debt collectors call and call and call. He now knows it's amazing. Tons of stuff about the person who used to have the phone number that he has. Sometimes I'll answer the calls, and it's fascinating talking to the collectors who think that um, 
I'm trying to shield the individual and all that. This is a terrible hassle. And today happens in a weird sort of way. People tend to keep their phone number today for life. And so if you do rotate into a number, that's people who are using burner phones and burner numbers. That's when you're more likely when you get a new number today is when you're going to have someone who's got a history of some kind that's going to be a hassle. The only thing I can suggest to you, almost nobody ever calls our home phone uh, other than typically 10 or less people if we have one. Change your home phone number and hope that you get lucky the next round. Joel? Clark Ron in Texas says, during the pandemic, my bank started to offer a checking account with a 1% interest rate. The conditions, though, are to maintain a $25,000 balance and make 10 debit card transactions monthly. I'm concerned about the security of the debit card with direct access to that large amount of money. How risky are debit card transactions really? People and pundits have various opinions. Have you seen any numbers on this? So debit cards are not any more risky than credit cards. The difference is what happens if the debit card number is compromised. If you were required, is it 10 or 12 transactions? Which was it you said, Joel? A month? Uh, yeah, 10, 10 a month. 10 transactions a month. If you just do the 10 transactions and you're consistent where you do them, you're going to reduce the chances by the number of transactions you're doing of the card being compromised and then having a problem with your money in your account being at risk. So I'd say the 1% is worth the risk in this case. You know you have a certainty of getting the 1% versus a possibility that the debit card will be compromised. It is true that it's a hassle, much bigger hassle when a debit card is compromised. But in your case, there's a direct financial reward for taking on that risk. Jacqueline joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jacqueline. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Jacqueline. You are someone trying to figure out if it's the right time for you to look at buying a home. Give me some background if you could. Yeah, a little bit of background is um, I was married 20 years and been divorced five years. Basically, in, in splitting our finances, I walked away my 401. My husband kept the home. Now, a few years on, I've been putting a lot of money into renting and feel like it's time to start buying a home again. My lease is up in February, and at that point, I could put down about 10% into a home, but then obviously have the PMI and, um, and, and everything else involved, the other expenses involved, or I was thinking perhaps wait another year and then in that time I can save up to 20%, forgo the PMI and then try and get a 15-year mortgage. The only thing to get to that 20% within a year would mean reducing my 401k from I'm putting in 20% payments right now to 10%. So I'm All right, so it. first things first, I'm so yeah. proud of you that you're saving 20% of your pay for oh, retirement. You. And thank that you. is absolutely fantastic. Number two, there are ways you can buy a home with 10% down and still avoid PMI. Okay. And you can do what's known as a piggyback loan is the way it's historically been called, mm -hmm. where you have a first mortgage for 80% of the amount of money for the purchase of the property and a second mm -hmm. mortgage for 10% of the amount. And that allows you to avoid 
the private mortgage insurance, which uh-huh. is like okay. taking money and just pouring it down a drain. But the thing is, the housing market right now is in great imbalance. There's a severe shortage of properties for sale. And that's why prices of homes have stepped up to an all-time record historical average. It's really more a matter that even though interest rates are low, home prices have really moved up. So if you were going to buy a home, you do get the enormous benefit of record low interest rates, but mm-hmm. at the same time, the detriment of very high prices, which only works for you if a place you would buy would be what you would expect to be your forever home. Right, which, yeah, it wouldn't, honestly. If it's not going to be a forever home, I would continue to sock money away like crazy for retirement like you're doing. And mm-hmm. continue to rent. You know, rents okay. are moderating around the country, and that trend is going to continue. There are reasons psychologically that people really want to own a place. I didn't hear that from you. So, in my mind, keep being a max saver, and at least for the foreseeable future, rent. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I wanted to talk about deals that are happening today that are the kinds you've got to jump all over when they happen. First, a field that normally has been a backwater has been much more popular this year, and that's the furniture business. And the forever money-losing people at Wayfair have decided that this is their time each year. They really want to lose money. Wayfair is having their annual Way Day that is good through Thursday. And with Way Day, there's no minimum for free shipping. And there are a lot of true bona fide deals on furniture. And the stunner is how inexpensive uh, furniture of various types can be right now. So if you have been looking to fresh up a room or buy some new furniture, replace something, check out the Wayday sale. Very, very time sensitive. Uh, Same time clock working on you with a Southwest deal right now. The airlines can't really beg, borrow, or steal a customer right now. The bookings have been softening again as the number of new cases of coronavirus have been rising again. And so people are nervous about getting on an airplane. There's been conflicting information about how risky it is to go on a plane. There was a uh, extensive study recently that found on longer flights, the risks of getting coronavirus are actually fairly significant. But on a typical length domestic flight, the risk level is, according to research at MIT, not horrific, particularly for people who fly Delta and Southwest who are both blocking middle seats for an extensive time period to come. The reason that's important 
versus others is the risk of getting coronavirus from a flight drops by roughly half on Delta and Southwest who are blocking middle seats versus on other airlines that are not. Now, again, that's based on MIT research. The Southwest deal that Southwest has right now is you can register for a special promotion at southwest.com. It's a rapid rewards promotion. You can have zero flight segments on Southwest when you register. And as long as you immediately buy a ticket and fly it within the time period Southwest wants you to, you then, January and February of 21, can take a companion with you every flight for free. So you can buy the lowest possible fare for January and February travel and take someone with you for nothing. You know, there's a segment of the population that likes to fly that has not been afraid. It's somewhere around 20%, I think, of travelers. If you're in that 20% or so of travelers, this is a steal of a deal opportunity for you to do this Southwest promotion. And there's going to be many, many opportunities like this in the world to travel for those that are not afraid to, to book and buy and go. You're going to see deals that you'll be talking about for a long, long time. And it's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And I'm going to guess it's your turn, Kim. You are correct. Ding, ding, ding. This is from Dean in Oregon. He says, I've been recently contacted by a company wanting to help me claim a life insurance policy. They want a 15% fee up front. I do believe my mother and father had a policy many, many years ago, but I also believe that you might have a way for me to look into this for free. Yes. You know, when you get one of those letters, those um, unsolicited letters, saying we found money for you and uh, we're going to help you find it for a finder's fee. Those fees are all over the board, typically 10% to 33% for helping you connect to your money. But it's something that with a minor amount of effort, you should be able to find yourself. So the first thing you do is go to a website called missingmoney.com. Let me repeat that, missingmoney.com. And I want you to remember that address because there are a number of imitators that charge fees. Missingmoney.com is actually the, it's not the official site, but it's kind of like that for most state unclaimed property offices. Particularly if your last name is unusual, it's really easy to find where there may be money sitting there unclaimed for you. So you can start at Missing Money, which has a very easy-to-use search engine. Find yourself, you're able to then download the form for the state that is holding the money and provide the documentation to them that they'll require, a proof of who you are. And then uh, normal times, You'd have your money in four to 12 weeks, depending on the state you're filing the claim through. Right now, I don't know what those time windows are. There's also another website for states that don't participate. Most do, but for states that don't participate in missingmoney.com, it is unclaimed.org. 
and that site should be able to help you. By the way, there's an oddball thing with insurance. Anytime there's a possibility there's an insurance policy, in addition to checking your state, the state your relatives lived in, also check the state of Connecticut because for unusual reasons and how so many life insurers are based in the state of Connecticut, it's always worth a stab at checking the Connecticut state database as well. Odds that you'll find your money yourself, overwhelming. Joel? Clark Steve in Minnesota says, my wife and I have both frozen our credit reports. We have an adult mentally disabled daughter whose name is Megan, and, and she's never worked and has no credit history. I tried to freeze Megan's reports, but since she had no history, uh, the, the credit bureaus wanted too much personal info submitted. I'm not comfortable with doing that. So if I added Megan as an authorized user to two of our credit cards, would this build credit history for her so that then I could freeze her credit reports without submitting all that personal info? Okay, that is beyond brilliant. I got to tell you, that is really a brilliant idea about how to establish the identity for Megan. Then you would be able to freeze her credit. Um, I tip my hat to you because I would have said, if you hadn't suggested that idea, I would have said, you know, it's a reasonably safe activity to submit all that documentation to a credit bureau. But your idea is much better and I would do that, and if that establishes her credit identity with the bureaus, then doing the credit freeze will be ultra easy. You are now an honorary member of Team Clark for that great idea. Kim? Matt in Illinois says, I borrowed money from my 401k two years ago in order to pay off my home. It was $31,000, and I still owe about $19,000. I currently have the cash to pay it all off and was wondering if this would be an optimal time to do so, or am I better off waiting to see if the stock market drops again, or does that even matter? Just so you know, my job is stable and I do have a sizable emergency fund. Good for you all the way around. Go ahead because now you're mortgage debt free and now you're going to be 401k loan free because the interest rate you're paying on that 401k loan is much higher than what you're earning with that idle cash right now. So blow out that 401k loan. And as far as the stock market, short term, the stock market always has significant risk. It's the long-term play which you're in the stock market for. So yeah, you know, the U.S. stock market likely is overvalued. But who knows for how long, who knows when it turns, how hard it turns and all that. So steady as you go in your 401k and don't fret when a correction or a bear market might come because always with a 401k, think of the goal, the long-term game you're playing. Joel? Clark Sarah in Maryland says, how do you know when it's time to replace a car with a new-to-you used car? Our current car has about 110,000 miles on it. It's 10 years old and has a trade-in value of about $3,000. We love not making car payments, but recently it's required several trips to the mechanic for minor repairs, none more than $1,000, thankfully. But they have added up. So how do you know when enough is enough? So 100,000 miles on a car makes it still a baby. And I'm sorry that you're having meaningful problems with the vehicle. You know, my tipping point 
with replacing a vehicle is when it is 10 years or older, if you want to move on from it, you've gotten the big economic benefit of having a vehicle aged to 10 years. And so it's not as much about the money that you're spending on repairs because you're still not spending major money on repairs versus what replacing a vehicle would cost. But if it's just become something where you get in the vehicle and you don't know what kind of day it's going to give you, if you want to get a vehicle that's newer to you, a newer used car, go ahead. But the one annex to that is the used vehicle market is inflated in price right now. There are unusual circumstances that have led to temporary shortages for a lot of used vehicles. So if you wouldn't mind nursing it along for a little while longer till the used vehicle market gets back into normal equilibrium, that would be the best choice to make right now. Kim? Amani in Georgia says, is accidental death and dismemberment insurance a good investment? No, it's junk insurance. You know, this is one of those narrow policies. The key with insurance is to have policies that are for wide purposes. You know, if you if you were to end up uh, dying from an accident, that doesn't make the case any different than dying just from natural causes because the purpose of insurance is replacement of income for your survivors. In the event that it's, uh, you mentioned dismemberment as part of this, the reality is the important thing is if it restricts your ability to work in some way, disability insurance, a general disability insurance policy is much more important, much more key for you to have than a narrow um, dismemberment and uh, death and dismemberment, accidental death and dismemberment policy. Say that three times. So with insurance, there's a lot of stuff that looks really cheap to buy, but it's only for more obscure, more rare events. And that's the insurance you ignore and buy the stuff that gives wider coverage for wider purposes. Joel? Clark Stephen in Georgia says, I've recently retired and I've received several phone calls about my social security number being placed on hold due to suspicious activity. But the social security office doesn't make phone calls uh, like this, right? This is a scam. And I just wanted to put this on your radar. Thank you for mentioning this. This is a big time scam activity. Scamsters buy lists of people that are approaching or in social security age and go after them for identity theft and other financial crimes. And thank you for pointing out that Social Security is not just dialing people all day long like this. This is a classic scam. Gary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Gary. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you today, Clark? Wonderful. Thank you. Gary, you have the Midas touch, it sounds like. Apparently right now, yes. Tell me the scoop, because I'm jealous. Well, actually, I was uh, divorced about eight years ago, and I, I, I turned 66, and, and I work for myself, and I'm, I'm doing okay, and I started, I waited to 66 to collect income from Social Security. And it's not that much, but I had a, a little medical thing going on, and I was out for about three weeks, and I thought, you know what, if I'm out all the time, I'm, I'm going to need another source of income. So anyhow, I, I started looking, and I found a house that was, vacant probably for nine years thereabouts 
Nine and, uh, years I, it sat as like a scary Halloween house? Yes, sir. But anyhow, I, I tracked down the, the owners, and uh, it was a, a nine-month process to actually get it. And I got the house. It was a, a really good buy. It, it came with two lots. So I sold one of the lots, and I was, I was kind of amazed at, at what it brought. And uh, the real estate agent said, why don't you sell the house? And I'm like, well, I'm not done with it yet. And I said, just out of curiosity, I said, well, what would it bring? And she said, this house will bring $190,000. And I'm thinking this house is like, you know, an $80,000, $90,000 house, maybe a hundred. But I guess it's been a long time since I bought a house. But um, I, I wanted to sell it, and I thought, no, capital gains is probably going to eat me up. And, and all I needed was the extra income, like another 1100 a month or so. The house is almost complete, and I've, I've got a, a guy that, that wants to rent it, and I've checked him out, and he checks out good. And I think I'm just going to keep it and rent it. But house prices are just outrageous. Yeah. So this is, this is a dilemma. So how long is your ownership period you've had of the property? I took possession of this property on June the 4th of this year. Okay. So you would be right that with capital gains, you'd want to own it a minimum of a year. But let's talk about starting off as a landlord renting the property. Your cost in the property is how much? Right now, I'm right about $80,000, and I have just a few things to finish, not very many. And that's net after you sold the other half of it? Actually, no. It would come down to about sixty. Oh, you're incredible. So you got sixty grand in something that's that's worth maybe one ninety. Yes. All right. You are someone with the Midas touch. So I'm just lucky. So the standard formula a lot of real estate investors use is that that property now with a market value of one ninety would be only a, a good rental property at a monthly rent of nineteen hundred or more. And you're looking at a rent roughly a little more than half that. But if you look at it versus what you have in the property at a net of 60, the 1100 is fantastic. So you got two different things you can look at, what you have in it and what it supposedly would bring right now. I would suggest go ahead and rent it. It gives you kind of like your own annuity, if you will, in retirement that you add to what you have from Social Security, and having that monthly income will change your financial profile and how you're able to live every month, I would assume, right? Absolutely. So I would be comfortable in your case keeping it as a rental property at least for a while. If it were me, in your case, I'd keep it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.